side or up to the top and write the word Antichrist. The Antichrist. And uh, then he goes on and says, I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. And then he mentions the beast again, and the beast, or the Antichrist, which I saw was like unto a leper. His feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, we found out back in, verse, in chapter 13, the dragon, or in chapter 12, the dragon is Satan himself. Satan is the one who empowers the Antichrist and empowers these beasts. The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. If you drop down, we'll get to this tonight. In verse number 11, it says, And I beheld another beast. If you want to circle that word, those two words, another beast, right out beside it, false prophet. So you have, the, you have Satan, you have the Antichrist, and you have the false prophet. They're all given there what we call the unholy trinity, the uh, copy of God's holy trinity. Several things I want you to notice as we think about this beast from the sea or the false prince or the Antichrist. First of all, notice the parentage of this false prince. The parentage. In verse number 1, again, he says, I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. The name of blasphemy. If ever there was a man on earth whose father was the devil, it is this beast that's mentioned here, the Antichrist. Notice the family likeness that's given here. In Revelation chapter 12, if you'll go back just a chapter, look at verse number 3 of chapter 12. Revelation 12, verse 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. That's Satan. We talked about him last week. Verse 9 says, The great dragon was cast out of heaven. That old serpent called the devil, Satan. So we know who that red dragon is. But listen to it. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns about, about, upon his head. That's what we read back over in 13, verse 1. He has ten crowns and upon his head, and he has the uh, ten horns, and the seven, uh, having seven heads, ten horns, upon the horns, ten crowns. There's a likeness, a family likeness. The Antichrist sounds like the devil, doesn't he? Because he's like him. He is empowered by him. There's no mistaking the family likeness and the number of heads and the number of crowns and the number of horns that are mentioned there. In Revelation chapter 17, if you go a few, few more pages back, verse number 3 tells us something similar. Revelation 17 and verse number 3. He says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So you have that again. Again, you find there that the color is mentioned of scarlet. Now, he talks here about the crowns, ten crowns that are on her head. This word crown is not the usual word that we think of as crown. It is the word diadem. We use the, the English word diadem. It is used of the dragon in chapter 12. It's used of the, of the beast in chapter 13. And it's used of Jesus in chapter 19 and verse 12. In chapter 19, when it talks about Jesus, it says there are many diadems of the Lord Jesus Christ. In contrast to the ten diadems of the beast and the seven diadems of the Satan, 
So the Lord himself has a whole lot more than what they have, obviously. But you see here in verse 1 the family likeness of the beast. He is much like his father, the devil. The Lord Jesus Christ, if you remember, said of himself, he that, Jesus said, he that hath seen me hath seen who? The Father, all right? And so here it is with Satan, if you see the Antichrist, you've seen his father, which is Satan, the father of lies, and this is Satan's imitation. This is his imitation of the, reincar or of the incarnation. Remember, at Christmas we celebrate the birth of Christ, that's the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God came to earth, took on flesh. Here you have the devil taking on flesh, the incarnation of the devil. He comes up with a man and a beast to bear the characteristics of the devil himself. Whatever Satan is in person, whatever he is in his nature, whatever he is in his personality, you find the same thing in this beast, this antichrist that is mentioned here in chapter 13. He is the visible expression of the invisible devil. The beast will be Satan in a human body. The Antichrist is Satan in a human body. The person that has seen the beast has seen the father of the beast, who is the father of lies, in his own manifestation. Every line of Satan's character is reproduced in the character of this beast or of the Antichrist. He and his father are one in family likeness. Secondly, notice the family lineage. The family lineage. In verse number 2 he says, And the beast which I saw, or the Antichrist, was like unto a leper. If you want to circle the word leper, you can write out to the side of it. The leper is the only predator found on every continent. The only predator found on every continent. Now what does that tell us? We know the devil's on every continent, isn't he? He's, he's there, and, and he is... He's gone to every continent. He, remember this, though, the devil's not omnipresent. What do you mean by omni? Omni is all present. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at, every, at, at all times. He's fully present in every place at all times. The devil can't do that. He can only be one place at a time. But he has a lot of demons. He has a lot of devils, representation of him, that carry out his work. But the leper is the uh, predator that's found on every continent. And then he says... And his feet were like the feet of a bear. The bear is a symbol of what country? Russia. It's a symbol of Russia. And his mouth as the mouth of a lion. Lion is a symbol of England. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So we see the family lineage that is given here. It takes us back to Daniel chapter 7 in verses 4 and 5 and 6, and you find in Daniel 7, we won't go back there right now, but you find the lion, you find the bear, you find the, the leopard, they've already been seen back there. And here again we find them in Revelation chapter 13. The beast of chapter 13 is going to gather together all the kingdoms or all the characteristics of these kingdoms will be all wrapped up in one person. He is the last and the worst of all the Caesars, of all the Genghis Khans, of all the Napoleons, of all the Hitlers, of all the Stalins. He, he, you can add to that the ferociousness of these beasts. All of that will be a picture of Satan's power and his authority and his throne. You take all of that and put it together in one person and you have the person of the Antichrist. Now I want you to notice that this beast or the Antichrist is a real person. He's a real person. 
His body is like a leper. His feet, as we saw, are like a bear. And his mouth is like a lion. The body of a leper is covered with spots. In Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, the Bible says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leper his spots? Now I want you to notice something. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a leper. He's a lamb. Big difference. In 1 Peter 1, verse 19, it said, But with the precious blood of the lamb, we are redeemed with the precious blood of the lamb, without blemish and without spot. You see, this leper is totally opposite of what Jesus Christ is. There could not be a greater contrast between the leper and the lamb. Satan has his spotted leper. God has his spotless lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that for the last hundred years, scientific investigation has been dedicated largely to prove that man is a descendant of beasts. They've tried to push their... their, uh, uh, evolution theory on all of us and tell that we came from monkeys and we swung from a tree and all of that sort of thing. Of course, man is not come from a beast or from an animal. He was created in the image of God. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why Satan wants to push the philosophy of evolution so much is because he hates the truth that man is made in the image of God. But God will ultimately give this crowd their beast. <laughs> They wanted a beast, so he sends them a beast. He will be Satan in human flesh. This beast is a real person. Secondly, notice this beast is a representative person. He's a representative. The beast, as the head of the state, is the state. The beast of Revelation 13, he's both the emperor and the empire. All modern totalitarian governments, the fascist Italy, the Nazis of Germany, the communist Russia, and the communist China, have all been built on the idea that the head of the state is the state. Now, thank goodness that's not true in America. They're trying to make it true, but it's not true in America. We the people. Big difference. When people thought of Germany under Hitler, they thought of Hitler. The trend is going to be consummated here in this beast. He will not only head the revived Roman Empire, but he will be the empire. He will speak for it. He will act for it. He will think for it. He will decide for it. And again, we seem to have some government today that are trying to push that same thing on us. I'm glad we still have minds of our own. We don't have to be told what to think. Amen? Use your mind. Think for yourself. And then I want you to also notice the family legacy of this beast. The family legacy. In the end of verse number 2, he says, And the dragon gave him his power. The dragon, or Satan, gave power to the Antichrist, and his seat and great authority. He will have the power to do everything. He will have the authority to do everything. What the Lord Jesus Christ refused to take from the devil in the wilderness temptations, the beast will gladly receive it. Remember, Satan came to Jesus when he was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, and he said, look out on all the kingdoms of the world. If you'll just fall down and worship me, I'll give you all those kingdoms. Jesus refused to take that. That would have been a shortcut to going to the cross. He refused that. But the devil will willingly accept that in Revelation chapter 13. He'll take that. In fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, even he, talking about the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. 
all power. Now here's an interesting thing. The Greek word that translated power is the word dunamis. It's a word from which we get our word dynamite. It literally means power to do anything. Unhindered power. The devil, the Antichrist, is going to have that power to do anything. Before the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan's power in this world was designated by the use of this word, dunamis. But after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan's power was under restraint. It was hindered. Satan today does not have all power. He can't do anything that he wants to. His power is hindered. His power is restrained. It's a totally different Greek word that is given to us. In the present church age in which we live today, the dunamis power, the all power, the Bible says, the unhindered power, is given to us, the believers, to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, And ye shall receive power after the Holy, Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and under the other, uttermost parts of the earth. God gives us that unhindered power to be witnesses for him. In Romans 1 verse 16, the Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, the dunamos, the dynamite, the unhindered power. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all-powerful, and it can change men's lives. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 and 19, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me, unto Jesus. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. In other words, Jesus said, The devil's power, he doesn't have all power. His is hindered power. But Jesus had all power. And he said, I'm giving that to you. Go and teach all nations. You and I are unhindered in the power that we have from God if we are dependent upon him and trusting upon him and relying upon him. He will give us the power to do what he wants us to do, to take the gospel to a lost world. Satan no longer has that dunamis, that unhindered power. He doesn't have that kind of power like he did in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 where it speaks of all power of the enemy. All Satan has now is a limited, a hindered power. It's a different Greek word. It's exorcia. He doesn't have the dunamis power. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, Satan is called the prince and the power of the world. World, It is, or the prince of power of the air. It's that word exorcia. It's the hindered power. In Colossians 1.13, it says, believers are delivered from the power of darkness, the hindered, the restrained power of the enemy. Paul told King Agrippa, that his commission was to preach to men and to open the eyes of the blind and turn them from the power of Satan unto God. Again, the word used there is the hindered, restrained power of Satan. The Lord Jesus was manifested. He came into this world, 1 John 3 says, to destroy the works of the devil. And when Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin, he defeated Satan. And his work has been destroyed. And since Pentecost, Satan has been put under restraint. He doesn't have that all power. The mighty spirit of God is holding Satan back. Can you imagine what it's going to be like after the rapture when the saved people, we who know Christ as our Savior, are dwelt by the Holy Spirit 
1 Thessalonians tells us the Holy Spirit is the hinderer, the restrainer. He lives within us. When we're all taken out of this world, the restraint and the hindering is going to be gone in that sense. Can you imagine what this world's going to be like when Satan is not hindered or restrained like he is today? The rapture and the church gone and the, he's not hindered anymore. Satan will have that dunamis power that he had earlier. The unhindered power will be invested in this superhuman being, you might say, the beast or the Antichrist. Now, there's a th second thing I want you to notice about this false prince, and that is the popularity of the false prince. This Antichrist, or false prince, this beast, is going to be very popular. Why? Look at verse number 3. And I saw one of the heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was, what's the next word? Healed, And all the world wondered after the beast. Here's this, this beast. What a, what a man he will be in the eyes of the world. The world literally will go delirious over him. They'll be, he'll be seemingly the answer to all of their needs. He'll, he'll fulfill all their desires. And all that he will be doing, he'll be filled with the fullness of Satan. And, and he'll be the idol of all mankind. What an amazing person this will be. Why is he going to be so popular? Look at the reason for his popularity. Verse number 3 again says that he's wounded. He has a deadly wound. That means he dies. And he's healed. That means he's going to be resurrected. Turn over a few pages if you would. Don't you turn over, but turn the pages, okay? <laughs> Revelation 17. And look at verse number 9. Revelation 17 and verse 9. It says, and here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kingdoms. Five are fallen. One is, the other's not yet. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not. So the beast, that, the Antichrist, he's, he's, he was and he is not. He's going to die. Even he is the eighth and is the seven, and goeth into perdition. Again, you find that he is, he was, he is. What's he trying to do? He's trying to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we call him the Antichrist. They won't call him the Antichrist. They will accept him as the Christ, the Messiah. What did Jesus do? He came, he died, he was buried. We celebrated last Sunday and every Sunday the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Antichrist is going to follow the same thing. This beast is slain and brought back to life again. You can imagine how that's going to impact the minds of the people in the world. Remember that this is Satan incarnate, Satan in human flesh. Jesus is the opposite of that. He is God incarnate. He is God in human flesh. Jesus died and rose again, and so here the beast dies and is resurrected. This will also help to take the edge off of the impact of what we saw back in chapter 11. You remember when the two witnesses were killed, and they, were lay, they laid in the streets for three days, and then they were resurrected and ascended into heaven, and, and the world has seen that, and now they're going to see this beast, and so it's going to take the edge and the focus off of that. Isn't it interesting today, even in our society, how many times you see some events that take place in the world that take the attention away from something else that happened? 
get our attention off of that onto something else. And sometimes it's to cover up what happened back here or to keep us from seeing it there. Well, this same thing's going to be taking place during the tribulation time. And it's the miracle of his resurrection that gives the, is the reason for his popularity. No doubt that whole thing will be managed by the media and Satan and his false prophet and, and it will be used to have its greatest impact on the world and on men and their propaganda machine will see to it that the miracle is magnified to its fullest extent. So we see the reason for his popularity. Then notice the result of his popularity. Look at the end of verse number 3. It says, all the world wondered after the beast. They're going to flock after him. And verse 4, they worshiped the dragon, that's Satan, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now remember this. What is Satan's purpose? All through time, Satan is trying to get people to worship him and not worship God. If you go back to Isaiah, you read when Satan was cast out of heaven. What did he say? He said, I will be like the Most High God. He keeps talking about what I will do. I will, I will, I will, and God cast him out of heaven. In his rebellion and in his pride, he wanted to be like God. And it's always been the purpose of the devil to try to get people to worship him instead of God. By the way, he's doing a pretty good job of it today. We've got churches that worship Satan. We have temples that are built to Satan to worship him. And I want to say something, kind of go out on a limb, but this, this Antichrist, they're going to wonder, the Bible says, they're going to flock, they're going to be like a, it's going to be like a rock concert where the, where the people are standing there with their hands raised toward the, the star on the stage, screaming and crying and all of that. That's the way it's going to be towards the beast, towards the Antichrist. And I'm afraid we've got a lot of that going on in so-called churches in our day to day. And we've got to be very, very careful that our worship is towards the true and the living God, not towards a man on a stage, but the Savior of the world. Everything about this beast makes it easy for men to adore him and then to worship Satan. Great secrets of nature, possibly surpassing anything that's discovered so far, will be revealed by men. Seducing spirits will inspire the arts and philosophies and sciences. And men will think that this beast is the greatest leader that has ever existed, that the world has ever known. A deceptive peace will settle over the world. Nations will regard the beast as invincible. Even those that are jealous of him will refuse to make war with him. They'll, be, they'll, they'll allow him to implement his policies. Many of them will appeal to them. As a resurrected man, he will rule the world like the greatest and last of all the Caesars. And men will worship him. And the dragon, Satan, will give him his power that he will have. And the world will witness several dress rehearsals for this. We've already seen that in, in our world. Modern totalitarian regimes exploit the hunger in human hearts for a visible God. People want a God they can see. Mussolini and Hitler and Stalin were all granted semi-deification as a result of their clever manipulation and publicity. In recent times in China, Satan staged one of the greatest dress rehearsals. There are almost a billion and a half people in China and Mao Zedong transformed them into 
dutiful, obedient puppets of his. Mao in his day was a living God. His thoughts became the creed of the people. The little red book of his sayings was a Bible to a, a quarter of the earth's population. Giant posters of Mao were never far from view. They were all around, terrifying purges and campaigns and intimidation. All of them made sure that the people towed the line and did exactly what he said. In China, Mao was God. When Hitler had his goose-stepping legions parading hour after hour past the reviewing stand, shaking the ground beneath their feet and thundering out there, Hail Hitler, I believe was just a, a preparation for what's going to take place in the book of Revelation. When you see the long lines of people waiting patiently in the Arctic cold for a brief moment of adoration at the coffin of a mummified corpse in Russia, I had the opportunity in, I think it was in 99 or 2000, right around that time, of visiting Russia. And I went by the, the went into this, this building where they had uh, Stalin in there. And, and, and when you walk by and look in the, in the glass, it looks almost like a, a wax figure there. And one of the things they told us when we went in is, you know, everybody's quiet. And you go in and it sounds like a, a funeral home. And I wasn't thinking, I had my hand in my pocket. And a guard, I, I didn't know where he came from, but he reached up behind me and grabbed my hand and just jerked it out of my pocket. And it scared me half to death. And, and I just kind of walked right on through, you know, yes, sir, I'll do whatever they say. But all of that is part of the, the deifying of a man because our world's looking for a God that they can see. And that's what the Antichrist is going to be. They'll see this God and they'll worship him. And then thirdly, notice the purpose of this false prince. What is the purpose of all of this? Look at verses 5 and 6. In verse 5 it says, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things, and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth, notice this, in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. The purpose of this false prince, first of all, is to defy the God of heaven. To defy God. He's blaspheming the true and living God. Everything that in any way is related to God will be blasphemy out of this man's mouth. He cannot lay a finger on God. He can't touch God's heavenly sanctuary, nor his glorified saints, but he can and he does revile them with his tongue. He is, you might say, reduced to name-calling. That's all he can do. He can't touch God. He can't touch heaven. He can't even touch God's people unless God's allowed him to, so he blasphemes the name of God. Defy the God of heaven. His second purpose is to destroy the saints of God. He wants to destroy the believers. Look at verse number 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. During the tribulation, believers are going to be martyrs for the cause of Christ. We see that in parts of our world today, but it'll be on a worldwide stage. He cannot 
harm the glorified saints of God who are already in heaven, but he can harm them who are on earth. And that's the whole process of the, of the devil even today. The devil can't attack God, so what does he do? He attacks man who are made in the image of God. And the devil loves to attack us and do whatever he can against us as a, 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 any way he possibly can. There are some during the tribulation that are going to be sealed and they're not going to be able to be touched by the, by the enemy until God allows them. The age-old mystery of why God allows suffering of the saved, it'll be brought back into focus during the tribulation period. Herod, if you remember in the New Testament, he imprisoned and beheaded John the Baptist. Satan persecuted Job when God allowed him to. Pilate passed the sentence of death on the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse number 7 says, And it was given unto him, to the Antichrist, to make war with the saints. For a brief period, for 42 months, the devil is going to be allowed to make war against the saints of God. He will have power to attack the people of God. The great tribulation will be unleashed by this beast on those who are God's people. And Satan will go to war. He'll use, I'm sure, the rack and the thumb screws and the stake and the boiling oil He'll use the firing squads and the gas chambers and the long-prepared concentration camps and the death pits. All that has been learned over 60 centuries of torture, all of that will be brought together and that will be the devil's last fling against the people of God. This great red dragon will attack God's people. And then his purpose is also to dominate the nations of the earth. He wants to dominate them. At the end of verse 7 it says... And power was given him over all kindred and tongues and nations. Isn't it interesting? We have people even today that want to dominate all kingdoms and nations, don't we? They may not be presidents. They may be. They may not be rulers of other countries, though we're seeing some of that in Russia where they're trying to dominate other nations around them. But we have people, as you well know, behind the scenes who are manipulating and financing and trying to control all the nations of the world. We've heard so much over recent days about a new world order, haven't we? And one day, and we'll find that a little bit later on in the, in the tribulation period, there will be a world religion, there will be a world government, there will be a world ruler that will be this Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13. He wants to dominate the nations of the earth. And then he wants to delude the masses of mankind delude the masses of, of mankind. Look at verse number 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. See, when we get saved, you ever hear, sing the song or hear the song, there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. When we get saved, our name's written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. And those people whose names are written there, they won't worship this beast, this Antichrist. But all the rest of the world will. They'll worship him. Those whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Those who act as the agents of this beast in executing his will upon the people of God, they will be eventually given over to the same fate that they are bringing on others. God, in his grace, gives us warning. He gives warning here in his word that we are to be on guard. 
in our day-to-day, and those in the tribulation period will be on guard as well. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, he speaks of the Antichrist, and he says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now let me make a couple of closing comments this morning. I want to say, first of all, Satan is not against religion. Satan is not against religion. He loves religion. In fact, he is the author and the inspirer of all false religion. Satan loves religion. And religion is a very useful tool to further the kingdom of the devil, for through religion he can channel worship to himself, and that's what the devil wants. He wants the worship for himself. He will be the Christ of the cults. He's the, he'll be the reincarnation of the Buddha of the Buddhists and of the Mahdi of the Islam. And he will be the seeming Messiah of, of Israel. He'll be the kind of, of Messiah that Israel has always wanted. And men will unite in their worship of him. Now you may say, well, pre- preacher, all of this sounds far-fetched. All of this seems like it's going to take a long time for all of that to happen. Could I tell you? The next thing on God's timetable is the rapture of the church. Jesus is going to come. The trumpet will sound. The saved are going to be caught out of this world. And the moment the rapture takes place, the next seven years are the tribulation period. And it's going to be during that tribulation period that all of this takes place. And we can see so many things in our world today heading toward that. We see the desire for a one world Uh, power. We see the desire for a one world leader, a one world religion. And one day all of that's going to take place. And it could be a whole lot sooner than what we believe. I'm not looking for signs, though they're, they're there. Most of the signs in the Bible are pointing towards the second coming of the Lord when he comes back and sets up his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. That's seven years after the rapture. So if we see signs already that are pointing to this, then this we ought to be ready any moment the trumpet could sound and we'll get to go home to be with the Lord. Let me ask you a question or two in closing. First of all, who are you worshiping today? Who are you worshiping? You say, preacher, I worship the God of the Bible. Who are you worshiping on Sunday when you ought to be in church? You know, there's some people that have what I call sack religion. They stay home in the sack instead of coming to church to worship God. They got sack religion. I remember a young man when I was in high school, he lived across the street from me. He had this Oldsmobile. You guys will know that, that I forget what year it was. It was a 442. Talk about a huge engine. He, he worshipped that car. Many times on Sunday morning, we left to go to church, our family, and Johnny was across the street waxing and washing and shining his car. And Dad would make this comment sometimes. He'd say, well, Johnny's having his worship service. And he was. That was his God. Who you worship on Sunday morning? Aren't you glad you're here today? Amen? Worshiping the true and the living God. Who are we worshiping? with our time? Who are we worshiping with our money? Who are we worshiping with our tithes? Who are we worshiping with our talk? Are we talking about the Lord? Are we lifting Him up? 
I trust this morning that you know and you worship the true and the living God. Not just to say it with our mouth, but to live it with our life. Not just to be hearers of the word, but be doers. And live for him and worship him and magnify him. These folks in the, in, in the tribulation time, they're going to see that beast. He's going to die. He's going to be raised and brought back to dead, dead, to life. They're going to, they're going to swoon after him. They're going to just fall all over him. Let me tell you something. We have a living Savior who came to earth and died on the cross and was buried and rose again from the dead. We ought to love him and talk about him and tell everybody we can about what he's done for us. Because he paid our sin debt so that we could have eternal life and so one day we could be with him for all of eternity. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture, Revelation, that talks about things in the future, but they may well not be very far in the future. Would you help us to make sure we're prepared and we're ready? You said, in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a far-fetched story. For just as you came the first time, after several thousand years of promises, you fulfilled your promise and came. You've given us hundreds of promises that you're coming back again, and just as sure as you came the first time, you'll come again. Just as sure as Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem and lived a perfect sinless life and died on an old rugged cross and paid our sin debt, was buried and rose again, ascended back to heaven, you said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. You'll keep your word. We're looking. We're watching. We're waiting. Help us to worship the true and the living God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.